Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Blog Talk Radio.
to Prayer International Radio. This is our Sunday night broadcast. Um, I'm your host, Sean Holmberg, along with Christopher Herzog, who will be joining us in just um, about 30 minutes, 40 minutes from this time. So let's get right into it. Um, our call-in number is 619-638-8458. If you need prayer for absolutely anything, um, please give us a call. It's interesting, last night, um, I took the night off, and we actually had more listeners last night than ever before in the past, um, which is a real blessing. Um, and, you know, we also have a website, which is um, org. and I would, um, and I've had Russia on my heart for a while, and we now have someone from Russia who's constantly on the website, so I'm not sure who that is, but... Whoever you are out there, you're definitely in my heart. Um, so tonight, um, well, let's start it off and pray. Father, Lord, we yield the next two hours to you. Father, asking that you would be magnified and glorified through your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. That you would uphold your word, Father. And as we stand in faith, Father, declaring that your word to be true in our lives, Father. Declaring with our lips, Father, that your words are faithful and true, Lord. And, Father, your word declares, if we did ask anything in your name, Jesus, that you would do it. And so, Father, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill every believer tonight, Lord, with joy and peace and believing, Father. Lord, that you would establish us in righteousness, Lord. Establish us in your word, Father. Let us be rooted and grounded in the truth of your word, Lord. Father, through your Holy Spirit, let your word become alive to us. As it says, it's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Father, but not only that, but your word has becomes an illumination, Lord. Revealing the Lord Jesus Christ to us. So we yield everything to you. Asking you to have your way, asking that your will be done, Father, and that no man would be glorified, but only the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, would be glorified tonight, Father. So I had an interesting talk last night. One of my um, dear friends, um, David Perkins, came over, and um, he's about to, um, well, I guess a preface is that his family um, is, for the most part, is Messianic Jewish. Um, they hold on to the Jewish traditions of following the law, but at the same time believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And so he's planning on having a talk with his dad um, and sitting down and explaining the difference between the law of the Old Testament and the law of the New. And, you know, we break it up into two different testaments. Um and some accept the old and some accept the new. But in reality, there's not really a difference in the two testaments because it's still the Word of God. And it still reveals the Lord Jesus Christ from start to finish. And and, and the question that was posed last night is, is there two laws? Was there a law in the beginning and then now a law in the end? Um, did Jesus create a new law? He did say that not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away until all things are fulfilled. And so I sort of wanted to go into that tonight. Um, and that, you know, in the beginning, if we go back, um, 
now we walk by faith, and it says the just shall live by faith. It also says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and it says in Ephesians that by grace you are saved through faith. It's not a, it is a gift of God, not of yourselves, as anyone should boast. And we walk by grace. In Romans chapter 8, it says, if you have a Bible, um, Romans um, chapter 8, it starts off in verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now, why does it say all that? Um, and, um, you know, in the beginning, righteousness actually superseded, if that's the correct word, it preceded. Righteousness through faith actually preceded the law. And if you go into your Bible and you look at the lives of Abraham, um, I believe Abraham chapter 15, verse 1, um, God is making a covenant, covenant with Abraham, and he said, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And this is before God changed Abram's name to Abraham, which is the father of many nations. And, he's, and it says, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me since I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abraham said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my own house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this shall not be your heir, but the one who comes from your own body shall be your heir. Then God brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abram believed the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now here we see the Lord accounting Abram righteous outside of the law, which hadn't been given yet. I mean, the law doesn't come until a lot later with Moses. Um, after the children of Israel have been in bondage for hundreds of years, um, and they're delivered from the hand of Pharaoh, and the Lord gives them the law. 
and but righteousness through faith was established before that. Um, and there's a lot of things that predate the law. Um, there's often a dispute among believers um, about tithing, um, which we're not even going to get into, um, mainly because of verse in Malachi says, um, in what way have you robbed me? And the Lord said, in tithes and offerings. Well, you know, even tithing came before the law because Abraham offered a tenth of his stuff to Melchizedek, um, who was a priest. And so the life of Abraham is sort of a foreshadowing of things to come. And, of, and you know, the difference is Abraham Abram, um, didn't receive righteousness based on his actions. He didn't receive, I mean, as far as um, he did on his actions, but it wasn't as do this, um, keep this law, this law, this law, this law, this law. It was his actions through his faith in which his righteousness was established before the Father. And we too, as born-again believers who have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, are considered and reckoned to be righteous righteous to God through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the work on the cross, not by anything we can do. And, you know, there are still a great many people out there who hold on to the law. Um, and I'm not and, you know, David said, um, King David said, Your law have hidden in my heart that I wouldn't sin against you. And it says, and um, I believe it's Joshua, it says, um, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now then, um, so the law is good, in fact, that it reveals the Lord to us. Um and it keeps our hearts and minds focused on him. But what the law couldn't do, and that it was weak through our own flesh, the Bible says that God did by sending his own son. And the likeness of sinful, sinful flesh, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who did not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And I've noticed there's a stark difference between those who follow the law and those who walk by faith and follow um, and whose steps are made um, through the belief of the faith and the righteousness that comes only through Jesus Christ. And that is the law itself was made to amplify our own actions and our own, and our own abilities. So men would attempt um, not very well to follow the law of God. Um, and it was always about an action. It was something they did to establish for themselves righteousness. If they were able to compete or to complete certain things, certain requirements, um, there was many requirements of the law, and they could be sort of considered righteous, but even then it wasn't good enough because no man could keep the law. And, and so the law itself was an outside work, and it, that would be an attempt to obtain to a righteous standard before the Father and to be considered righteous. Now then, the walk of faith is completely opposite because the walk of faith and a life of righteousness through Christ Jesus is not something that's done on the outside, it's something that's done on the inside. And in the Old Testament, God said, in those days, 
I will write my, my laws on their hearts and on their minds. And it says later on in Corinthians, it says that we are living epistles written not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is the heart. Um, and so the whole New Testament goes into a different parallel that draws away from us actually competing works or completing works and um, through our own efforts to attain the righteousness, and it goes into the righteous, the establishedness, established righteousness um, of faith through Christ Jesus, and that we are reckoned to be righteous immediately. And then our life is walked out in faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a work that's done on the inside. It says um, that we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So then, um, in the Old Testament, they attempted to obtain righteousness and could not. We, who have been born again, have not attempted to obtain righteousness, but have received the free gift of righteousness through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And our action is not, and our actions are not to fulfill a law, but to fulfill a relationship and to find ourselves in Him. So, where does that leave the law? Well, um, Jesus said. Um, I said earlier that not one jot or tittle of the law shall be shall pass away till all things are fulfilled. Well, which law is it talking about? Well, it depends on how you look at it. Um, yes, there's in some ways there's two different laws, but in the long run there's still just one, which is the law of the Word of God, and which is complete in Christ Jesus because He is the Word. Um, Jesus Himself said, "Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." And, you know, Jesus is likened to be the word of the Lord. And it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Now then, so what's the difference between the law that they had back then and the law now? Well, it's a lot harder now. In the beginning, they had the original Ten Commandments. Um, and then um, a man came up to Jesus and said, well, which commandments are the most important? Or which ones should I keep? And what do I need to do to obtain righteousness? Still attempting to do something on his own. And Jesus broke it down and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, why did he pick those two? Why didn't he pick um, honor your mother and your father or do not steal or do not murder or don't commit adultery? Because um, those seem like pretty important ones because those are rampant in the world today. But the reason that Jesus chose those two is those are the fulfillment of the law. Because if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, then it's impossible to sin. Because love is the fulfillment of the law. And if every action and everything you do does not violate one of the top two, one of those two commandments, you cannot possibly sin. You can't steal or murder or kill or commit adultery um, if you are living your life not loving your neighbor as yourself. If you love the Lord your 
you out with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you're going to do everything to be fully pleasing to Him. Like I said, to present yourselves as living sacrifices to Him. Now then, um, does that mean we're not going to sin? Or we? No, it doesn't mean that. Because even in the first book of John, it says, um, if anyone claims he has not sinned, he is a liar, and the truth isn't in him. But it says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with Jesus Christ the righteous. And so, we live our lives not by trying to compete, trying to achieve something that has already been achieved for us. Um, and we live our lives in such a way to be fully pleasing the Lord. Now, I said the law is harder now, and it is. Um, just like with tithing in the old days, um, you're required to tithe the tenth of your income. Well, now everything belongs to him. It's not just 10%, it's all of it. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Jesus said to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. Well, if our whole lives belong to him, because it says we are bought with a price and everything we have is his. It's his possession. We are mere stewards of it. Even our bodies we are stewards of because it says we are being built together for a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. Even in Romans chapter 6, Paul said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly, also, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we would believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, that being said, we're not under the law, but under grace. And the in sin, bring, in the law brought death in a sense, because it forced man to attempt through a lifetime of fear, in a way, to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law on his own. And knowing he's unable to, always 
um, would never it would never actually clear his conscience and never would prevent um, present freedom because it was always in bondage to the law, attempting to fulfill it. We then have been given the freedom of a walk in faith and of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as a seal. You know, it's funny, um, we talked about this last night. When you're married, you wear a ring. Um, well, let me back up. And here's a question he posed, that David posed um, last night was that, you know, when you're married, you don't usually have to carry around your marriage license and parade it around because it's already established that you're married. You have a seal, which is a ring. That's the only thing you really need. Well, in the old days, they would have to um, take the law and they'd put it in little boxes and put it on the tassels of their garments and um, to parade about the fact that they followed the law and cared about the law with them. Well, now the law isn't something that's on the outside. The law is something that's on the inside because we become the law. We become the righteous, the righteous expression of the Lord Jesus Christ. We become the visible manifestation of his work in the earth and the glory and the grace that comes through the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And we become living epistles to the Lord. And so the seal that we have, like a marriage ring, is the Holy Spirit. For us, is that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. You know, it says in um, Acts, um, there was people who were trying to keep the law. Um, they had begun to walk in faith and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for their righteousness. But then they still would attempt to have those who came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to still try to attempt to follow the law, which they can never fulfill anyway. And Let's see. It says in um, oh, here it is um, Acts 15, um, and I'll just read a little bit. It says, "And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved." Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders. About this question So being sent on their way They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria Describing the conversion of the Gentiles And they caused great joy To all the brethren And when they came to Jerusalem They were received by the church And the apostles and the elders And they reported all things that God had done with them But some of the sect Of the Pharisees who believed Rose up saying It is necessary to circumcise them And to command them to keep the law of Moses Now then If we're walking through the righteousness Which comes only through faith in Jesus Christ Well the righteousness as we established earlier Came before the law Because Abraham was Believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness And Abraham Was accounted righteous before the father Before circumcision Before the covenant of circumcision That God established with Abraham and it says in verse 6, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. 
And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So then, I'll go back to Romans one, where it says, or Romans eight one, where it says, "There is, or therefore, now no condemnation to those who walk, who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, where does this all tie in together? (sighs) Because it's not about an action, it's about a relationship. Because everything that men, man attempted to do through the law trying to fulfill his own righteousness, trying to forever obtain to the righteousness of God through completing the works of the law and never quite getting there, never quite bridging that gap that would reestablish a relationship with the Lord. The Lord Jesus did once and for all through his own flesh when he died on the cross. And was raised from the dead. Now then, the law, always, when you are attempting to justify yourself through the law, the law will always bring a remembrance of death, a remembrance of the separation of you and God, because the law keeps you at a distance from God. Um, and it, in a way that was good. The law, it says the law is for our tutor to reveal to us the Lord Jesus Christ, that we needed a Savior. Um, But the law keeps you at a distance from the Lord. It always brings a separation. It always creates a chasm that it's impossible to overcome because you're always attempting to obtain to righteousness that you can't possibly do on your own. And so there's always a gap there. There's always a veil there that prevents you from entering into the Holy of Holies, which is why in the Old Testament there was only one priest who could go in once a year before God and offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. But through Jesus Christ, it says, he has made a way through the veil of his flesh. When he died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn in two. We have now have open access to the Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, and the new law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus actually presents a way for us to have communion once again with the Father, not based on our own actions, but based alone on our faith and the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so the difference between the old law and the new is relationship. It's a mindset of everything has already been done. It says he has forever perfected those who are being sanctified. It's not it's not by works of righteousness which we complete, but what he's already done in us and through us and for us. And our job is to go back and be like Abraham, to turn the clots back, to be like Adam and Eve and Abraham in the Garden of Eden, to worship the Lord. You know, even David, um, who was a shepherd out on the fields, probably never had much learning. He probably never had um, church services and Bible studies. But yet, what he did have was a relationship with the Lord, where his life, his heart was dedicated to the Father, where everything he did, he was mindful of the presence of the sovereign King of Kings, of the Lord God Almighty, understanding that he is omnipresent and that we live our lives that so that we love him with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, with all our strength. And enter into a relationship with him and into a covenant with him, just like Abraham. That we are no longer held back by the weakness of our own flesh. But we are accepted and have free access into the grace, through the grace in which we stand free and open access to the Father. It says, come boldly to the throne of grace in which we are accepted in a time of need. You know, many people um, pray, but many people who pray at the same time don't believe that their prayers will be answered because they don't think that they deserve it. They don't think that they are good enough. Well, I'm here to tell you that your prayers being answered have absolutely nothing to do with yourself outside of your faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Jesus healed many people and the blind man at the pool of Bethesda um, didn't know who Jesus was. Jesus approached him and said, do you want to be made well? When Jesus had known he'd been in that condition for a long time and the man looked up in Jesus and he said, I have no one to help me get into the water. I have no one to help me get there. I'll try. I try on my own, but every time I'm trying, someone else gets in there before me. And that man, who was wanting salvation, wanting to be delivered, wanting to be healed, wanting that good life, the life more abundant, had to realize that it wasn't about his own actions of trying to make a way himself. It was turning his eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ and accepting that he could not do anything, but the Lord had already done it when Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. And the man didn't try to crawl to the pool at that time. He just stood up believing that he had been healed, not because he was able to find a way because the Lord Jesus already made a way for him anyway this is Prayer International Radio our call in number 
638-8458. We're going to take a break and we will be right back. before that great white throne the throne that's been established from eternity the throne which is surrounded with transcendent radiance the angels the seraphim beauty everywhere the river of fire that flows from your throne Oh, we love to stand before your throne, O oh God. We love to stand before the throne of God.
we want to be lost in the raging fire that flows from your throne, O God.
throne is encircled with flaming fire. The furnace of love, beauty, raging fire.
You know, salvation comes by no other name except the name of Jesus Christ. And we are here to declare that every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, maybe you're sitting there listening. I know we get a lot of people that, that call in or listen in that maybe you don't subscribe to Christianity. Maybe your faith is not in the risen Lord. And maybe sometimes, you know, you've had some experiences in church or in what we call Christianity that really weren't very fruitful. You know, there's really a difference between religion and true faith. And religion is just going through the motions, going through the traditions and making the word of God in none effect because it's caught up in a system of do's and don'ts that neglects or lacks the intimacy with Christ. You know, there's a lot of people that can go to church and try to do all the stuff that the Bible says to do. But without a true, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, it's just a religion. It's just no more than being a modern-day Pharisee, you know, in our churches today. You know, there's different gospels being preached. There's different sermons being preached. But the Word of God says that unless we're preaching Christ and Christ crucified, it's dung. Paul called it dung. Pretty good word for it. You know, if you're preaching in your churches anything short of the Word of God, the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the Word of God, described it like this. It's dung. And if that offends you, I'm sorry, but that's what he said. Those are God's words. Those are the words of the Bible, at least the King James Version. So, you know, we want to be found worthy. We want God to put his seal of approval on this ministry. We want God to put his seal of approval on our lives, on our families, and commit the works of our hands to him, the meditations of our hearts, the words of our mouths. You know, we want them to be pleasing and acceptable in his sight. So I want to open up in a word of prayer as I get started tonight on the show, and then we're going to get into the words from tonight. And uh, just spending tonight just uh, with friends and family and just having some dinner and some fellowship. You know, I went to church today, and actually our pastor shared at a Romans 12. It was a really good sermon. And just spent the day, you know, with my wife and just enjoyed our day. Got to spend some time with our Christian family. And, you know, I uh, just had a really restful, peaceful day. And just want to encourage you guys, learn to rest. Learn to just relax. You know, not, a lot of times we can get so high-strung and get so caught up with the cares of the world and and the different things happening throughout the day that, you know, we don't make room for Christ. You know, we might make room for them in our churches. We might make room for them in our Bible studies. We might make room for them in our Christian activities. But God wants us to make room for them in our lives daily and commit all of our ways. You know, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him. This is Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. 
And the, the key element there is in all your ways. You know, it's funny how we try to compartmentalize Jesus. We try to limit Jesus to our church activity, but he really wants to be Lord of all. He wants to be directly involved in every detail, whether it be your business, your family, your relationships, your, you know, even down to your circumstances, even down to your automobile problems. He wants to be the one in the center of the situation, getting all the glory and helping you resolve it. And if we'll seek his wisdom out about every situation in our lives, he will bring a solution. He says this in Jeremiah 33.3. He says, call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know about. Well, actually, he says, call unto me, and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. And we've got a promise. If we ask, we'll receive. If we call out, he's going to answer. And all you have to do is ask. You know, prayer is not just asking. Prayer is not just believing. But prayer is also receiving. There's, there's different facets of prayer. You know, we think prayer is, you know, kneeling down or lifting up our hands or, you know, talking different Christian verbiage or quoting different scriptures to God, which the confession is good and we need to confess the word of God. Posturing ourselves in prayer, the Bible says to lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. So we know that God wants us to lift up our hearts and lift up our hands unto him. But honestly, he's not looking for the formula. He's not looking for the format. He's not looking... He's not looking for somebody to just go through the motions and have a feast or have a celebration or sing a song, but he's looking for a heart. You know, he, he made this statement, God did. He says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And God wants more than lip service. God wants more than a show. God wants more than defiled religion. He wants pure hearts. He wants holy hearts. He wants yielded hearts. He wants lives. And I want to share one verse that, that my pastor shared today uh, out of Romans 12, maybe two verses, and then I'm going to jump back into my teaching. But it really sort of sums up, you know, what I believe the Lord really wants from his people. And so I'm going to share Romans 12:1 and reiterate something that I meditated on this morning in church. And then I'm going to get into my teaching. Um, so let's go Romans 12 Verse 1 And then we'll jump back into some things Praise God Alright so Acts Romans uh, Romans is after Acts If you're looking for it And uh, It's before Corinthians uh, Praise God Alright, so chapter 12 it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable worship. And what's reasonable with God is this. You see, God's a reasonable God. 
And when he asks things of us, see, he never asks more than we can bear. He never asks for anything more than what we can actually give. Now, sometimes it may feel like such a sacrifice that it seems impossible. But the truth of it is, is, you know, God will stretch you and God will break you. But God, if you're in the beloved, he won't destroy you. See, the word says we're cast down, but we're not destroyed. See, Jesus came to give life. And God is never going to require anything of you that he's not going to willing to do in you of his good pleasure. See, he's in you. The Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwelleth inside of you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Think about that for a minute. Now, I want you to meditate on that because this is the word of God, which means it's true. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. He that is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he that is in the world. And it also says that God's in you to willing to do of his good pleasure, which means He's on the inside. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. That means he started it. He's going to carry you through it. And he's going to be the one that enables you to finish strong. But we're given a commandment by the Lord through the writings of Paul in the 12th chapter of Romans. It says this, Beloved, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. By the mercies of God. That's the only way you can do it, first of all. By the mercies of God. You can't do it outside of the grace of God. Without him, you can do nothing. But through Christ, you can do all things because he strengthens you. That's the word of God. So we're to present our bodies. We're to present ourselves. See, he wants carriers of his glory. Did you know if you're in the beloved, if you're in Christ, You're called to be a carrier of the glory of God. The book of Corinthians says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And he likens us into uh, vessels of clay, containers that can hold, cisterns that hold water, containers that hold water, wells of living water, however you want to term it. He likens them to us as, as containers. And what he wants to contain, he wants us to be full of, is himself. He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants to be full of his glory. He wants us to be full of his power. Why? Because he wishes that the preaching of the cross come not through the wisdom of man, but in power and demonstration. You see, God wants to prove himself. He says, try me and test me and prove me. Let me show you I'm real. You see, God is confident in himself to allow you to put him to the test. Now, he says, don't tempt him. Don't push him. Don't agitate him. Don't mock him. And rightfully so, when you approach God, you need to realize that there's a certain way you approach God. And it's not with scorn. It's not with spite. Okay, you can't... See, they tried to catch Jesus in his words, but they never could. They tried to catch Jesus up and and show him up and trap him 
corner him psychologically, corner him philosophically, corner him religiously. But you know what? They couldn't do it because truth is truth. Truth is uh, the person, Jesus Christ. And truth is a is a solid thing. It's substance. And you, you can't mix lies there. You can't have a mixture. You can't mix light and darkness. Look, it says that bitter and sweet waters can't flow from the same book. The double-mindedness causes instability. And that's why it's important that we are careful what we allow on the inside. It's important that we're careful what we impart into our lives or we allow into our eye gate, in our ear gate, in our whatever we do, whatever we experience, whatever we encounter. It's very important what we actually take in. You see, if we hide his word in our hearts so that we don't sin against him, what happens when we hide other words in our hearts that are not his word? Because of sin against him. You see, the entrance of God's word, God's word brings light. But what happens when we align ourselves with something that's not light? You see, they said in Jesus was no darkness at all. Jesus said all things that are hidden will be revealed. And see, God uses his word like a two-edged sword. In fact, the word says the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing and dividing the bone and the marrow, separating the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Listen, it judges you. It's like a mirror. When you look into the word, you see yourself, and you begin to see what's on the inside of you. And God's got a way to get that word down on the inside of you to expose the hidden things, the secret things. Why? Because he doesn't want any mixture in our lives. Is there grace? Is there mercy? Is there forgiveness? Of course. Does God make room to bring reconciliation when we miss it and mess it up, blow it? Of course he does. He says, look, if any man be taken into fault, he says, look, you know, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. So we know confessions made unto salvation. We know that we can ask God for his mercy and he can pour his blood over the messes and the mistakes in our lives. Did you know that God has a way of turning your mistakes into miracles? Did you know that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose? Now, that's either true or it isn't. Just ask Just ask Jonah. Just ask David. You know, out of David's relationship with Bathsheba, which obviously started out defiled, but out of David's relationship with Bathsheba was born the king, King Solomon, who was the wisest king in all the earth, the richest king in all the earth, and the very man that God used to complete the temple. You see, David wanted to build God a house. It was in his heart. 
In fact, God used him to gather the resources. But it was Solomon that had the mandate to build the temple. Something to think about. And a lot of times we need to make sure what we have in our heart is what the Lord has in his heart for us. You know, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is death. And though the, the counsels of man, the plans of man will fall, it's the counsels of the Lord that will stand forever, the word of God says in the book of Proverbs. So praise God. So we're going to keep getting beer. I just thought I'd share a little bit. You know, God wants us to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is our reasonable service. God says it's reasonable. God says this is your worship. I don't just want you to sing for me. I want you to give me yourself. God just doesn't want you to sing a song and call that worship. He wants you to give him your heart of obedience. He wants you to give him your life. Lay it down at his feet. Present that before him. That's your worship. That's your gift that you lay at the king's feet. Here, Lord, here's your gift. Here's your treasure. See, you don't realize you're just as much of a treasure to God as he should be to you. And depending on where your mindset is, think about that statement. Praise God. Tonight, I think I'm going to talk about how God turns mistakes into miracles. You know, he really does. God has a way. Praise God. God has a way of turning our mistakes into miracles. He really does. Uh, first, I think I want to get into a song. Uh, Let's see what we got here. Actually, you know, I'm going to wait. If you're just tuning in, it looks like we've got quite a few people in the chat room. I actually just got in there, got my technology up. This is uh, Prayer International Radio. The call number is 619-638-8458. You can check us out, www.prayerinternational.org. Or we're at prayerinternational.gmail.com. You can email us. You know, your prayer request in or call us if you need to or want to. Maybe you just want to call and listen in. But you know, if you've lived any kind of life at all, I know this, that we're all human and we all make mistakes. We're all human and we mess things up sometimes. But tonight I just wanted to share some encouragement. I I want to say this, that whatever kind of mess that you've gone through, let God turn it into a message. Whatever kind of mistakes you've made, let God turn them into miracles. You know, all people fail. All men, all women, they all fall. But the great ones, the one that God puts in success and his greatness on, they get back up. You know, we're in a human world. Mistakes are going to be part of your daily life. They have it on your job. 
they happen in your financial decisions, maybe even in your choice of friends, you, you, you make mistakes. But, you know, yesterday's failures can become today's successes. You know, God can take your tragedy and turn it into a triumph. There's a word for somebody tonight that's going through a hard situation. God can take your tragedy and he can turn it into a triumph. You see, there was a man that was born blind, and they didn't know why he was born blind. His parents just knew he was blind, but along came this man, Jesus, and now he could see. They thought maybe it was attributed to the sin in his family's life or the sin in his own life. But Jesus said, no, this man was born blind for one reason, that the glory of God might be revealed, basically, is what he said. And even though some of your mistakes can be devastating, I'm here to tell you, if you'll get the right attitude, if you'll get the right position and get the right thinking about some things, even the majority of your mistakes can be turned around for the good. See, you're the one that can change the direction of your life. You need to choose. You can step out of failure into victory. You can step out of failure and go and have a successful life. You don't have to stay where you're at. You don't have to stay where you're at. God can turn it around for your good. Don't you think your Heavenly Father's already anticipated the problems in your life? Don't you think God already foresaw, has foreseen every situation you're you're going through right now? He saw it before the foundation of the earth. You know, your Heavenly Father predestined you. He foreordained you. He knew you before you were even in your mother's belly, before you were even in your mother's womb. And he's carefully laid out the plans for for turning your mistakes around. He's carefully laid out a plan for turning your mistakes into miracles. He's already figured it out. He's constantly trying to figure out how to get you back on track. No matter how far off course you think you can run, the Bible says who can flee from the Spirit of God? Where can you go that you can hide from God? Where can you go that you can flee from His Spirit? Look, nowhere. God is always right up in the middle of your situation. He's always trying to turn your situation around. Proverbs 24:16 says, A righteous man falls seven times, but he rises up again. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And he delighteth in his ways. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. That's Psalm 37, uh, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be destroyed or cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hands. I think that's 23 and 24. So I want to give you a few uh, tips, a few pointers.
I want to give you a few tips and a few pointers to turning around your miracle or turning around your mistakes and turning them into miracles. God's got a way of turning things around. He really does. God's got a way. First thing you need to do is accept your humanity. Accept the fact that you're human. Accept the fact that you're human. First of all, you're not God. Okay? You're not God. You're not Jesus. And you're not the Holy Ghost. Big shocker. First thing you need to do, accept the fact that you're human. Accept the fact that you're human. You don't have angel wings. The possibilities of you making a mistake are 100%. The nature of your mistakes <laughs> and what you do about them, like, that's what that's what determines your success. Like, it's what you do with it. Don't you think God anticipated that you'd go through a moment of weakness at some point in your life? Look, Psalm 103, verse 13 says, Just like a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembers that we are but dust. Even God knows we're dust. He remembers our frame. God knows what we're made of. That's why he pities us. That's why he has compassion on us. Because he knows it's in our it's in our human nature. Now, you know, we're gonna say, yeah, you know, some people would just use that comment, it's just human nature, I'm just human. And they use it as a cop out to to cover up. To cover up their sin. Instead of getting motivated to have a higher standard in our lives, some people just use their humanity as a cop out. Okay, so I want to say that as a disclaimer, okay? We're not talking about using your, your humanity as a cop-out. We're talking about just recognizing the fact that you're not God. But if you can learn to accept yourself unconditionally the way God accepts you, you can learn to enjoy your life. Don't get so serious that you've got to beat your head up against the wall every time you blow it or mess it up. Look, there's a reason they call it the hell of the salvation. You want to know why? Because when you have the hell of the salvation on, it doesn't matter how hard you beat your head against the wall. You're protected. And if you'll put on the hell of the salvation, which is Christ Jesus, and the blood of Jesus Christ, and put your faith in God and what he did on the, on the cross, the finished work of the cross, and you can realize there's an unconditional loving Heavenly Father that accepts you for who you are. You can learn to, to love yourself and accept yourself. See, the Bible says this, and I want you to think about this. It says that we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, if you don't love yourself, how are you going to love your neighbor? And if you don't love God and understand his love for you, how are you going to have love for yourself? But if you can see yourself in the same way that God does, if you can see yourself the same way that God does, you can accept his plan, you can accept his purpose, 
You can accept heaven's influence in your life. So realize you're human. And then admit your mistakes. When you mess it up, when you make a mistake, confess it. Confess it. That's why the Bible says, confess your faults one to another, pray for each other that you be healed. Now, I'm not saying you have to confess every sin to somebody else. Some things you can just take to God. Some things that have nothing to do with anybody else except for you and God. Now, obviously, there's things in your life where you sin against people or you hurt people, offend people, and God's solution in that sometimes is to go to that brother or go to that sister and get your business right. But you can recognize and confess your sin to yourself. First thing you need to do, don't justify it. Admit your mistake. Don't lie to yourself. Admit your mistake. The scripture said, he that covers his sins shall not prosper. But whoever confesses it and forsakes it shall have mercy. Proverbs 28. Um, I think verse 13. Let me say that again. He who covers his sins shall not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes it shall have mercy. Do you remember when Adam and Eve tried to sow the fig leaves over themselves? To hide their... Their, their nakedness, to hide their exposure to God. They tried to cover up their own sin themselves. See, the Bible says that the Lord and His love covers a multitude of sins. We can't do it ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. So recognize it and confess it to yourself. Don't cover your sin, but confess it and forsake it, and God will have mercy. And then learn to confess your mistakes to God, not just to yourself. Don't, you know, admit your mistakes to yourself, but learn to confess them and admit your mistakes to God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John 1, nine, Very important verse. You need to have this verse hidden in your heart. You need to hang on to this verse. Let the truth set you free. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess your mistakes to God. Don't hide your sins. Confess them. And then, you know, if you sinned against somebody or you damaged somebody or you messed somebody up by your mistakes or your sins, Confess it to them. Go to that person. Go to that person you offended and get your business right. God said, look, if, you, if you've if you offended a brother or sister and you've got an issue in your heart, don't come to me and pray. First go to that brother and get it right, and then come to me and pray. So God doesn't even want to deal with us if we've got unfinished business with people. So do your best to make it right. Let me say that. Do your best. Because maybe you'll never have that chance to confess to that person. Or, but, if, but if you have the ability, do your best to make it right with those that you offend. Admit your mistake. Think about it. Mark 11, 25 says that when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against enemies, that your heavenly Father, also which is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. Jesus said, 
If you don't forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you of yours. So you need to learn to confess and ask forgiveness, but you also need to learn to extend forgiveness and mercy. Now listen, there's a caution here. There's exceptions. Look, when your confession would do more to destroy faith and confidence in the mind of another, confess it to God alone. Two things you can do. Two things you can do. And then, you know, make sure you, you put the responsibility of the mistakes and the, and the sins on those that are really responsible for them. If it's you, then put it on you. If it's truly someone else, then, then say it for what it is. Another way you can turn your mistakes into miracles, stop talking to everyone about your mistakes. Stop talking to everyone about your mistakes. Not everybody wants to hear it. But you may have a few close friends in your life that would gladly lend an ear to for you to release your pent up hurt, release your issues. You may need that. You may need a time to share your heart and pour your heart out to others. But it needs to be with the right people. Never discuss your problems with somebody that's incapable of solving them. Never discuss your problems with someone that's incapable of helping you. What's the point? It's more effective to discuss it with God. And that day when I cried, you answered me and strengthened me with strength in my soul. Psalm 138.3. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears, the psalmist said. See, too many times we can display our weaknesses unnecessarily. We can magnify our mistakes instead of magnify the Lord. We can put ammunition in the hands of the enemy. We can destroy our our confidence in that, that intimacy of God just by putting ourselves down instead of building ourselves up, encouraging ourselves in the Lord. So look at it this way. You're not losing by confessing your mistakes. You're learning. It's a process. So, you know, I'm just just kind of rambling tonight, but just bear with me, okay? If you're just tuning in, this is Prayer International Radio. My name is Chris Herzog. Um, Actually, it looks like we've only got about 10 minutes left of the show. Wow. It's going pretty quick. Tonight we're talking about turning your mistakes into miracles. Recognize that you're human. Admit your sin. Confess your sin to, to, to yourself, to God, to people, whoever is necessary. Stop talking to everyone about your mistakes.
Think about Isaiah 43:18. Remember what it says? Isaiah 43:18 to 19. Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? Won't you recognize it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The thing I want you to think about, though, we always skip over the first part of that. We love to say, oh, behold, God's going to do a new thing, and it's going to spring forth. Are you going to recognize it? He's going to make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That's true. And it is true. But, you know, we always kind of skip over the part that says, remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. God says, don't remember all that garbage. Go forward. Look, if you spend your 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 time looking in the rearview mirror, you're going to have a wreck up ahead of what's in front of you. If you spend your time constantly looking in the rearview mirror, you're going to run into what's up in front of you. I mean, try it. Get in your car and just stare in the rearview mirror while you're going forward and never look at what's in front of you and see what happens. I guarantee you it's going to cause a wreck up ahead. And in like manner, if you spend your time dwelling on your past, if you spend your time remembering all the old things and all the problems and all the issues and the, all the stuff, then it never allows God to come in and reconcile and do a new thing in your life. So stop discussing your problems with people incapable of solving them. Stop talking about all your mistakes to everybody. Never discuss something that you want people to forget. Never discuss something that you don't want people to come back and and use against you later or let the enemy use as ammunition. Listen, learn to cover it in the blood. Learn to put it in the blood. Learn to give it to God. Let God do his job and you do yours. Your job is to confess it and repent of it. His job is to cover it and forgive you and strengthen you and empower you to never do it again. But how is he going to do the new thing if you're always hanging on to the old thing? And, you know, don't be afraid to taste the pain of your mistakes. Listen, sometimes you got to let that pain hurt enough. Sometimes you got to feel the pain of it enough to get you to stop making the same mistakes over and over again. Otherwise, we just keep repeating the process. Hey, look, in Luke 15, the prodigal son, he came to himself. When he got so hungry, when he got so hungry after laying around with the, the pigs in the pig pen, he finally had a realization, man, I need to I need to turn this around. You know, it says that he would have filled his belly with the, the husks of the, the, the swiney because he was so hungry. But pain can motivate you. Sometimes God allows you to crash and, and mess it up. You know why? Because he wants you to have a reality check. But you know, if God cushions every blow in your life, if he patted every blow, you're never going to grow. And I'm not trying to get all rhyming. Uh, but think about it. If God cushioned every single blow, you would never grow. 
There's one for you. So be willing to to, to accept your your pain. Be willing to, to take whatever you have to take to learn it in this life so you don't never do it again. God will work that out. But even David, the psalmist in Psalm 119, said it's good for me that I've been afflicted because I, I might learn your statutes. It is good for me that I've been afflicted that I may learn your statutes. So 11971. It is good for me that I've been afflicted that I might have learned your statutes. Hebrews 5 8 says, Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And sometimes that's how we learn obedience through our mistakes. But God can turn your mistakes into miracles. Just allow a season of time for your recovery, you know, just allow that some time. Sometimes you want instant change, but it may not happen. Sometimes it takes time for total healing. You've got to give God something to work with. Even the wisest man who ever lived said to everything there's a season, there's a time and a purpose for everything. But let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not, right? So don't be weary of waiting for for your miracle to, to come out of your mistakes. Look, sometimes it takes time for this. But listen, if you'll not grow weary, if you'll keep going forward, if you'll allow God to take your mistakes and turn them into miracles, you'll be surprised. God will give you exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. Sometimes you just got to help other people receive their miracles. Sometimes you got to just not worry about your mistakes and, and make a point to help others get where they need to. Just don't ever quit. Don't ever give up. You need to get a winner's mentality in your life. Just because you've lost one battle doesn't mean you have to lose them all. So never give up. Look. Make a confession. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. The Lord upholds all that falls and raises up all those that are bowed down. Psalm 145. Listen, if you'll do these things, your mess will become your message. If you do these things, your burden will become your blessing. You can take your weaknesses and you can turn them into weapons against the enemy. You can make your pain, make it a pulpit and preach from it and become a blessing in someone else's life. Praise God. Well, God's good. God's good. You know, he's a good God. Hey, listen, we are actually out of time for the night, and I didn't get to finish, but, hey, we're just getting started. We're going to pick this back up tomorrow. My name's Chris Herzog, and I know normally we uh, – 
Uh, prayer requests and all this stuff. This is Prayer International Radio. Um, didn't have a whole lot of prayer requests come through tonight. But, you know, hey, we're going to keep praying. We're going to keep believing for those in the chat room. We've got Cirrus in the chat room uh, exposing demons, three or four guests. we got the homeless poet, Kingdom Here, uh, another Prayer International, Will VIP. We work for him. Hey, in the name of Jesus, we just bless. All of you in the chat room, all of you that are listening by phone, I think we got Anthony and a couple of people on the phone tonight listening. Maybe some other people have called in or you're listening just on the blog talk radio. However you're listening to us, we're just blessing you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for everybody tonight, Lord. Turn their mistakes into miracles. Turn their pain into a pulpit. Turn their, their weaknesses into a weapon, Father, and use it for your glory. Use it for your glory, Father. Help us all come along, Father, as we confess our sin. Father, you're faithful and just to forgive us. And you can turn everything around for the good. So, Father, I ask your blessing and your will on every person tonight. Your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we just ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep praying. Keep believing. Don't drop back. Don't drop back. Just fall in love with Jesus and trust him with your life. This is Prayer International Radio, and we will be back with you tomorrow night. i
sing it from here.